It's Monday, November 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, it's Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk social media stocks. We are going to dip into the full mailbag. But for the third Monday in a row, we get promising news on vaccines. AstraZeneca's trials showing a good range of efficacy. We have Regeneron Pharmaceutical getting emergency use approval from the FDA. Um, Pfizer's vaccine could get approval in the UK this week. Uh, Here in the States, the FDA is scheduled to meet on December 10th to consider approval for Pfizer's vaccine. So, more good news. All of that brings us to Corn Ferry. (laughs) Uh, Shares of the global consulting firm up this morning after second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. This is one of those businesses, Jason, that you look back to late March when pretty much every stock or, or most stocks were falling off a shelf. You could be forgiven for looking at a consulting business like Corn Ferry and thinking, boy, they're they're in real trouble. This isn't just the broad market sell-off. They are in real trouble. And they have bounced back pretty nicely. Yeah, they have. You know, and I mean Corn Ferry is a small company. When when you look at the consulting gig, I mean that's what Corn Ferry ultimately is. Um a- along with, you know, the the title sponsor for the Corn Ferry Tour, right? The developmental golf tour is step below the PGA Tour. So you probably see their name all the time on TV and don't even really put two and two together. Um I think that's been a tremendous a tremendous brand builder for them uh, as as a golf nerd, but uh you know, that that's we'll talk about that <laughs> another time. Um I I, I do think that Consulting is a great gig. It's a great business. You can build a heck of a business around it over time if you're good at it. Uh, we've seen companies like Cognizant and Accenture, you know, for example, do do wonderful things over over the years. And particularly as as we go to a more tech driven and digital world, I mean, they really do a good job of harnessing that that expertise and being able to sort of de- deploy that talent, and that expertise around the world. Uh, Corn Ferry, I mean, a two billion dollar market cap, still a very small company, but you know. Going into this year, it, it was a small company, but it was growing, you know, slowly but surely. They were doing a pretty good job, um, and and then you know the COVID monkey wrench kind of uh, set them back a little bit. Uh, but but that that really that's that's not on them, right? I mean, that's something everybody's dealing with. And so when you look at the results for this quarter, the top line was down. 12% from a year ago, but sequentially, it was actually up 27%, which I think is important. I mean, that shows some signs that maybe uh, things are coming back around. And, and and I think that with Corn Ferry, you know, they have a strong collection of offerings. Um, they, they they basically report their, they break their revenue out, their business out into four different segments in consulting, in digital, and uh, executive search, and then RPO, which is recruitment process outsourcing and, and professional search. And, and so, the neat thing about when when you look at all four of those segments of the business, they were all down modestly for understandable reasons. Digital saw a little bit of a boost that was based on a small acquisition they made, but ultimately, I mean, they're treading water nicely. But I think one of the neat data points uh, when, when you look across those lines of business for this company is that 71% of their revenue, and their revenue is essentially fee revenue, right? I mean, it's, it's fees for their consulting services. 71% of their revenue comes from clients that utilize multiple lines of their business. And that number continues to actually grow, which is obviously a good thing, right? That says they're doing something right, they're doing something well, and that the, the customers they're signing up for their services see value, and and they're growing that relationship. And that, that's really what you want to see. Um, so, I, you know, I I think that when you look at the market opportunity, 
when you look at the lines of business in, in which they execute and, and you see that their customers generally are happy and, and expanding their relationships, I mean, it's a difficult time, but, but I, I think this is a neat business here that investors ought to keep an eye on. It really is remarkable um, how this entire industry um, has been able to sustain itself at a time when you know a lot of businesses are struggling, a lot are putting a freeze on hiring, um, certainly a lot of layoffs, that sort of thing. But I, I think it, you know, and, and you touched on this with sort of the multiple lines uh, where they're able to support different businesses. Um, it speaks to the handholding aspect of what Corn Ferry does, of basically helping to guide a lot of businesses through this. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one thing they noted um, with this release, you know, we <laughs> you know we talk about. Well, I, I think it's it's habit for us to say once things get back to normal, and and it, you know, we we say that sort of off the cuff, understanding that normal isn't going to necessarily be normal. We we've got kind of a new normal that we're dealing with now, but but they really make that point here, uh, quarter in and quarter out. They they say, listen, I mean, one of their priorities is ultimately. To help guide all of their clients to what normal is, which is this new normal, they're like, we're not going back to a lot of the ways things were done. I mean, and and that's not a bad thing, right? It's just it kind of goes back to that Satya Nadella uh, quote that we've you know talked about so much here over the course of the year, where you saw two years of digital transformation brought forward, in, you know, into two months, and, and businesses like Corn Ferry are really focused on on. Um, you know, not only exploiting that, but but really helping their clients to to uh, you know uh, adopt that mindset, adopt that mentality, and, and adapt their businesses so that they can benefit from that from that perception. And, and I think that's that's ultimately a good thing. I think that's why these these consulting companies uh, stand a chance to do very well in the coming years. I mean, when you when you look at Corn Ferry, the stock itself, um, I mean, you, you know, they're they're still. They're still very there. There's still some trepidation, right? They they feel like, all right, we don't know what is around the corner. They're not offering guidance. They're really not trying to 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 set the table here for us. But but there's there's some optimism in the numbers there. And if you look at the stock, it trades around 70 times earnings right now. You can't let that high multiple fool you. Their earnings are very depressed for obvious reasons. And and this is a company that has proven that it can perform very well in good times. So you know, I actually look at this business right now. I mean, they generated better than two hundred million dollars in free cash flow over the last twelve months. I mean, I look at a businesses like this right now and think, you know, given the pessimism that's out there, if you believe that all of this all of this great vaccine news is, is indeed going to stick, and you know, I, I think it does. I think it does stick, and I think we're going to continue to see uh, things open back up and people feel a little bit better about things. Um, it, if if we see things start to improve, you know, on on a macro level, I mean, you're going to see businesses like Corn Ferry benefit from that. And, and I think that even though you see that 70 times earnings multiple today, again, you can't let that fool you because those earnings are depressed. I mean, there there could be there could be a real window of opportunity for folks to get into a, a neat little small cap play here that that's playing in a really big market opportunity. Shares of Snap are up 5% today after the social media company announced the launch of Spotlight, a feature on Snapchat that is basically their version of TikTok. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> Among other things, yes. Um, yeah, Instagram, and I'm not on Instagram, but Instagram, I think it's Reels. Instagram Reels is their, I think, is Instagram's version of Something TikTok. Like that, yeah. Short video. 
what do you think about this? I mean, the the market is reacting favorably to this. Um, I, you know, I saw this story. I couldn't help but think of Vine, which was yeah. the, uh, you know, the six second video uh, platform that Twitter had uh, for a few years before they shut it down. Um, I don't know. I, everyone's looking at TikTok and saying we want to do our version of this, and I don't blame them. No, I, I don't either. I mean, you know, that's that's the old saying, right? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, and, and I think, um, you know, social social is a fascinating space. It's one that it, it's time goes on, I become less and less enamored with. I mean, I just it, I don't I don't use any of those platforms. So I got to get that out of the way here first. I, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself expert from a user perspective. I, I just don't use them. Um, they're just not for me. I mean, there's some some good anecdotal evidence out there, though, that, that you know some of these social platforms are doing a little too much and and becoming cluttered and unusable, and you know they're not really fulfilling or they're not really scratching that itch uh, that that they did years ago. You know when, when they when they were started. I mean, I, I think that. You know, when, when you look at social in general, I mean, I put Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and probably Snap to an extent. I mean, it feels like, I mean, this this is going to come across, well, I don't know. You take it how you want to, but it feels to me like these are the modern day equivalent of the National Enquirer at this point. I mean, I really do. It, it's, it's amazing to me. Like, I find myself scrolling through Twitter and spending more time telling them to stop sending me stuff or I don't like this or I think this is spammy as opposed to seeing stuff that I actually like. And, and that leads me to wonder, you know, is, is, there, is there AI, is there machine learning really doing that great of a job? Now, in Snap's case, I, I think Snap benefits a little bit from what appears to be at least some some level of, of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter exhaustion because Snap is more that one-on-one communication versus like this big, let's get it out in front of the world and have sort of that Times Square discussion. Um, th- th- those those big platforms can be very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And I think I think with Snap, I mean, they're, they're continuing to um, really focus on what their initial purpose was from the very beginning, becoming you know more of that, that one-on-one communication or one with just a small group versus like letting the whole world know what you think. They are, they are offering some interesting incentives, I mean, to get people out there to create content. And I think from an advertiser's perspective, it's it's a bit of a catch twenty two because even if you don't really like you know that that environment, so to speak, even if you don't really want to be such a big part of it, you don't really have a choice. They must be on them. It's not optional because that's where so many people spend their time, for better and for worse. And so, so I think that. For me, with Snap, I mean, I, this isn't something that generates probably a whole lot in the way of new users. It it maybe is incremental at best, but I you know on on I think it does help create engagement, which is ultimately what these what these platforms are are focused on is is creating engagement, and it's just a very delicate balance there of creating engagement without going too far. And by going too far, I mean, I'll, I'll just, you know, use one little bit of anecdotal evidence. My wife was telling me over the weekend, she, she is an Instagram user and becoming less and less enthused by it because of their push into commerce. And it is, it's ruining the user experience. And, and I mean, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter say the same thing. Now, again, I don't use it. I can't really speak to it, but it makes sense. I mean, you know, when these, when these social platforms try to do too, too much and sort of step out of their lane, so to speak, um, it doesn't seem like this steps out of Snap's lane. It seems like it's very much in line with what they've been doing. Um, 
whether they can really monetize it effectively, I guess, is, is is the difference there. I mean, we'll have to we'll have to see if that's something that actually uh, comes to fruition. But the early signs show that they're willing to pay up to try to grow that monetization. So it probably will be a while until we actually see it. I think it probably will help with the stickiness factor. Uh, it will yeah. help with engagement. Uh, going back to what you said about Corn Ferry and their ability to essentially sell multiple lines of services to the same client, this is uh, a, a similar vein with Snap, where they basically go to advertisers who are happy with whatever is their current spend and basically say, hey, we've got this new thing, Spotlight, You know, if you want to take this out for a spin. So, I, 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 it will be interesting to see the extent to which, um, probably not in the next quarter, uh, unless it's a blowout for them, but uh, a couple quarters down the line, the extent to which they start giving some color on how effective uh, Spotlight is. Um, and on the flip side, in terms of here's this new thing we're rolling out that we, we're hoping is going to help with engagement. Um, I don't think you and I have talked about this on Market Foolery, but we have talked um, just one-on-one -on -one about <laughs> Twitter's new, is it Fleets? Is that what they're calling Fleets. it? It's, it's basically yeah. their short video that you can put together that disappears in 24 hours that, that not only am I not interested in, as someone who uses Twitter every day for work, yeah. um, uh, I find myself <laughs> accidentally on my phone, accidentally hitting the button at the top that activates someone else's fleet. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to see this. <laughs> yeah, and it's I'm, people I'm, I'm following that I like. I'm like, I don't, I don't care about this. Well, and that's it. I mean, it, 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 coming up with something new, you have to make sure it offers something that doesn't already exist. And, you know, my, my first impression with fleets, I, I don't understand what it's for. I mean, like, I understand what it does. I mean, it's these little 24-hour stories. It's like their version of Instagram stories, I guess. But having clicked through a couple of those fleets, and I'm like, oh, it's a tweet. You know, it's the same thing as what I would just see on my Twitter feed, right? Except now it disappears. Well, I couldn't care less about that. And so then I, th I think, all right, well, from an advertiser's perspective, how attractive is that? Because that really seems like just the same thing repackaged. And, and that's where you have to be very careful. I mean, that's, you know, I, 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 you know, I try not to be too hard on Twitter. I mean, it's, I'm not saying what they're doing is easy, but man, it's been a long time since they've really done anything special. I don't consider fleet special. I think fleets eventually probably go the, the, the way of a Twitter moment. I don't see how they're really, you know, monetizable in, in, in any other way than, than tweets are monetized today. And, and, and that's, yeah, I mean, when you create something new, it has to be something that fills a demand, right? And and yeah, it's clever that they did it, but yeah, I, I mean, as a user myself, I would love to be able to opt out of those fleets because I find them utterly annoying and utterly useless. I, I'd be interested to see with Snap. I mean, that that, that I think is really going to be the question with Snap and this new feature is how do users feel about it? And and I, I that that'll take some time to roll out. And and you know, maybe listen, maybe you and I are the outliers, or maybe we're the ones that don't like fleets or don't really care about them, but maybe the rest of the world out there does. We'll find out because it's still a very new product as well. Um, I, I don't know that that's the case. I think as time goes on, we probably see that the uh, the interest in fleets is fleeting. <laughs> I suppose I, you know, I, I just I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean that's ultimately it. When you're creating something new, it needs to fill a demand and and do something that you weren't doing before. And and if it if it doesn't qualify, if it doesn't fit those qualifiers, um, then it's going to be a very difficult road to monetization.
Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got an email from Carlos Argueta. He writes, I'm 19 years old, just started investing, and I follow the foolish philosophy of stock picking. My question is whether using ETFs like the SPY or the QQQ is a great tool to use as a heavy lifter in one's portfolio and let individual stocks drive growth, or should I look at ETFs differently in terms of an investment tool? Thanks. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, thank you, Carlos. Uh, we're we're big fans of anyone who starts investing as early in life as you. So kudos yeah, for that. Absolutely. Um, I don't have any ETFs in my portfolio, but it is something that I I think I should probably. It is a tool that I, I and I love the way he put it in terms of an investment tool. It is a tool I probably should use. I know our our friend and colleague uh, Ron Gross um uh does that um yeah what do you think to carlos's question <clears throat> well i mean yeah to, to your point congratulations carlos i mean you know being 19 and doing what you're doing is special so so keep that going because i, I guarantee you 10 years from now you'll look back and think wow thank god i did that um I think a lot of this just depends on your stomach and how you can handle risk so to speak right i mean i think um that's that's the general that's that's one of the one of the benefits of funds is is that you can invest in a lot of different holdings at once and so like with index funds whether it's the the VOO or the SPY so I mean look at the the VOO for example Vanguard's uh, version uh, that tracks the S and P um, you look over the last five years the the VU is up seventy one percent over the last ten years it's up two hundred percent I mean any which way you cut it I think those are acceptable returns for not a lot of risk. As long as you're just willing to simply be patient and just sort of wait it out, um, I personally own shares of an S and P index fund in my work uh, 401k. Uh, mo more of my money is diverted over towards the self-directed brokerage because the lure of individual stocks is just too great for me to pass up. I just love investing in individual businesses, and that's just one of the most fun things I, I can do on a daily basis is just follow that stuff. But even I know that you know I need to protect myself from myself, and I think that's what funds can do for you. Um, so, so I think if you're looking at a broader market uh, fund, that's an excellent tool. Um, you know, when you start getting into more specific markets, that's where you need to be a little bit more selective because there are ETFs out there that focus on just you know specific industries. So, an, an ETF that's focused on gaming. That won't necessarily be the same as an ETF focused on cybersecurity or e-commerce, and I think there are probably some markets where investing in a fund is is more than likely the better way to go. I mean, for me personally, if I really felt you know the the need to be to, to have meaning meaningful exposure to cybersecurity, for example, I, I would more than likely do that through an ETF. It's it's just it's not a market that I fully understand. It seems like it's constantly changing, and so that's one where it just it seems like you know diversity diversification would just be would be paramount as far as as far as what you're looking for but i mean i i think they just they work very well together and and i think um i would personally look at if, if there's one fund that you have, it would be a fund that, that covers the broader S&P index. And then if you, if you really do like investing in individual companies, you know, have some of that portfolio exposed to that fund, to that S&P fund. And then, I mean, listen, at 19, 
you've got a lot of time in front of you. And, and uh, so that means you can take, you know, you can take a few more chances, which means I think you should be looking at this opportunity for individual stocks a little bit differently than maybe someone who's 60 years old. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, viewing, viewing those funds as a, as, a, as a tool, as a nice sort of foundation for a portfolio, it's an excellent perspective and, I, and I'd encourage it. Real quick before we go, it is Thanksgiving week, which means it is a short week for us on Market Foolery, but you can look forward to Motley Fool Money, a tradition unlike any other, our Thanksgiving special coming later this week on Motley Fool oh, Money. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, the other, this is this is where you, this is where like the tradition, unlike any other, and this is like this is the episode where you know you close it out with that little that little somber masters you know piano guitar <laughs> music, right? <laughs> because that that along with the masters, our, our Thanksgiving show and the masters. I mean, those are the two traditions. Yeah, they are unlike any other. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.